Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and as always in our show notes are our social media links and other things where you can contact me and contact us. We'd love to have any episode suggestions or comments, and you can email us with those, and all of that is included down below. What I'd like to talk to you today about is asking a question of whether you and I measure up to Jesus' humility. Do I measure up? Do you measure up? Since we've studied humility now, and we've looked at his example in God and Jesus, we need to have some type of call to action in our own lives, right? We need to have that moment where we sit there and say, what am I going to do now that I know all of this? How is your humility? That's a Almost a trick question, honestly. Because a lot of times when we want to say things like, well, I think I'm humble and I I believe I'm humble, we might be a little bit fearful about that because we think, is that coming across too arrogant? How do I say that I feel I'm humble and how do I talk about humility without being arrogant? Again, remember the goal of our lives is to not just please God now so that our eternities are far better, but also to live and work as Jesus did, because that's what pleases God. And so I think we can look at three different things. Number one, what about mankind's humility as a whole? Believe it or not, I I do think there's a lot of arrogance found in mankind today, not just in the sporting world. You know, when it comes to husbands and fathers, we've got a problem. According to Ephesians 5, the husband is the spiritual leader of the home. However, being that spiritual leader means he is going to have to be humble. Leadership does not increase one's value. Leadership does not make you more special. And everyone is subject to someone except God the Father. And while husbands have been given this role of leadership, they need to make sure they handle it in a spirit of humility. It's not, we're going to do this because I said. It's not, well, you better get in there and do what I tell you to do. It's, this is what I believe the Lord would have our family do. And this is what I think would be best for us. Sometimes, that is a hard conversation to have. Many times, the example of the husband, though, is all it's going to take. And when a leader is humble, more people want to follow him. When a leader is accountable, more people will follow him. And if I hold myself accountable, and if I hold myself in high regard, in a sense of saying, I have to be better, then those in my family will have an easier time following me. What about the wives and the mothers? Some people might think that the wife is unimportant in God's eyes, and that women in general are unimportant in God's eyes, and God's just someone who hates women. The wife's not unimportant. She's a puzzle piece. 
and a puzzle piece has a place where it fits properly. My grandmother, when she was living, loved puzzles. And oftentimes, I would walk out when they lived with us. I'd walk out into the living room area, and I would see her at the kitchen table, and there would be this entire puzzle just sitting there on the kitchen table. And I remember one particular puzzle that she did. She couldn't find one of the pieces. That puzzle wasn't finished. It was missing a piece. Had she found that piece, it would only fit in that spot. Have you ever tried to make a puzzle piece fit somewhere it didn't belong? If we do that with the family, we're being arrogant. We're telling God that we know better than God because God tells wives in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 that she is subject to the husband. That's not God hating women. That's God saying this is the way the family works best. The wife is a caregiver of the home. Now, I understand in today's world, some of our women have to work. A lot of our women, in fact. But I know them to still be good caregivers of the home. Our economy is much different than it was back then. I don't hold anyone hostage if they have to work for a living. In a perfect world, women wouldn't have to work. We don't live in a perfect world. But a wife, just because she works, does not become exempt from being subject to the husband and a caregiver of the home. Maybe you're a child to somebody right now, still living at home, and you're listening to this. You, too, have a responsibility to live a humble life. When I lived at home, I was told every day what I needed to do and what I was expected to do. I am to submit to my parents. If you are still living at home, you too are to submit to your parents. Can I give you a little bit of, a, of advice for someone who is not that far removed from living at home? Your mom and dad do want what's best for you. They want a relationship with you. They want you to love and want to talk and spend time with them. Do that. You will regret it if you don't. Because one day, you're going to go on to your new life. And that might take you thousands of miles from home. States away. But if your pride now causes you to refuse to love and listen to your parents... You'll regret it. There are moments in my life that I wish I could have back as a child living in my mom and dad's house. I find myself now spending more time with them than I ever spent before because I love them. Mom, dad, if somehow you're listening to this right now, I love you. And I'm thankful for you. And I'm sorry for the times when I didn't submit and bucked up against you. And children have to be subject to their parents. We have to be. Mankind has got it backwards. It wants us to believe that the husband doesn't have to be a spiritual leader at the house and that the wife doesn't have to listen to the husband and that the children can run the house. But that's not how it works. 
an electronic device that's run by batteries only work if the batteries are put in it the right way. And that's what God knew about the family. But what about us as Christians? I've been privileged in some Bible studies to study with people who have left the church and to get honest answers of why they left. You want to know what they said? Many Christians that I have met think that they are better than everyone else. And I sadly think they have hit the nail on the head. I know the scriptures teach that those who follow the plan of salvation are the only ones saved. That's not my teaching. That's not the Church of Christ teaching. That's in the Bible. But that doesn't give me the right to go around and act like I'm better than someone just because I'm following the book. You know, Jesus, when he interacted with sinners, didn't get this holier-than-now attitude, but one of commonality. When he saw people who had souls, he shared a meal with them in Mark 2. Did he condone their living? No, because in John 8, he told a woman who was caught in sin to go and sin no more. But he did understand that they were souls, they were people, and they needed love and affection just as much and care. And he wasn't better than them in his mind, even though if you really did measure the life of Christ against anyone, he was. He never treated them that way. I've met certain people who are quote-unquote famous, and I've always walked away from the people who treat me as if I'm the one that's famous. They make the entire time we're talking about me, and they treat me as though I'm the one they want to get to know. I've always walked away from that being surprised at how down-to-earth they seem because they live a life of fame. Jesus was that way, though. He is the Son of God, and yet you wouldn't have ever felt as though you weren't worthy to be around him. He made us feel like we belong. And that's what he did when he died on the cross. I'm not saying we can't call out sin. I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk to the individual that you think is stumbling. There are times where we have to do that. But according to the life of Jesus, there are also times to sit among those people and have commonality. You breathe the same air they breathe. You eat the same food they eat. And we can do much for the kingdom by showing that we truly care about these people and not just what they do with their lives, but what's happening in their lives. Let me speak for a few minutes to the preachers. I'm still very young in regards to my ministering experience. But there is something in this current world that does somewhat worry me, I guess. We say that we don't want to be seen of men, but then many times it seems that some of us do. It's not our purpose to relate the where and when and number of our acts of service through social media. Perhaps instead of us saying certain things as, 
I was privileged to baptize so-and-so into Christ, and I was privileged after studying with them to baptize them. Maybe we should just simply put that so-and-so has been baptized into Christ because you were simply the messenger. They were the one that received the message with gladness, and we should put the focus on their obedience to the gospel, not my studying the gospel to them and with them. And perhaps we need to realize that while we have more at our fingertips to assist in spreading the gospel, we need to be even more cautious with how we go about our preaching. I do often wonder if Jesus would be on Facebook and Twitter as his main source of evangelism. Not that there's no good found in these things. Look, it, it would be highly hypocritical for me to say there's no good found in them. You're listening to a podcast. I said at the beginning of this episode that we have social media links. But that can't be my only outlet of ministry. We cannot have a mindset that is consumed with our computers, phones, and tablets only. I want us to consider that Jesus, he did preach for three years, and it didn't result in him being put on the lecture circuit after he became well-known, and he did become well-known. It resulted in Jesus being crucified and put on a cross and dying a horrible death. So what is my motivation for doing anything? It should be like his, which was to simply save souls. You know, the disciples would struggle greatly with who would be counted among them as the greatest, and Jesus told them, you cannot have that worldly perspective. Well, brother so-and-so is the greatest preacher we have in the brotherhood. We need to stop saying that. He's just a man. We're just men, and we're just women. And all this can do is bring about the similar type of strife that the disciples found among themselves when they wanted to know who would be greatest among them. Our motivation, if we're blessed to speak on a lectureship or gospel meetings, seminars, or doing podcasts, or even doing any type of video work, should be twofold. Exhort the lost of this world to try to bring them to Jesus and encourage the faithful in ourselves to remain on the right path. We've been given a great task, men. Will you help me? And let me know if I can help you. Because I know the dangers. I know it's easy for us to get lost and to start to think about how can I become popular and how can I become like that preacher or like that Bible class teacher. But in truth, all God wants is a Christian. If our worth as Christians were found in being the greatest gospel preacher that's out there in the brotherhood, our women have no hope. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to be Christians. And that's it. And if I mess up in my ministry because of arrogance and failing to imitate Jesus, then I'm not separated from this world. I'm just like it. What about our elders and deacons as we start to bring this podcast episode to a close? Jesus never specifically spoke about elders and deacons in his ministry verbally, but I do understand that the entire New Testament is God-given, 2 Timothy 3.16. 
And with First First Timothy three giving a clear clear scripture and a mindset of what pride does to an elder, and that arrogance can prevent an elder from doing his job the way the Lord hopes, and that in some translations it specifically states in Titus one seven that an elder can't be arrogant. And deacons are simply servants, and that's supposed to be their entire mindset. You know, humility is critical to our lives. And if you and I were asked to measure our humility on a scale with Jesus' humility being the standard, how would we measure up? The only way that you and I can know that we're righteous is if we always have an attitude that we can grow, that we haven't arrived, that we haven't figured it all out. I want to close with this. Brother Garland Elkins used to say, the biggest room in my life is room for improvement. And truly, as I think about my own life, I can do better. We can all do better. I must follow the master teacher's example. And if I do, I'll never be wrong. And neither will you. This is a little bit of a longer episode than we normally do, but I hope it's benefited you. I want to thank you for tuning in this week. Next week, we'll talk about things that don't concern us. Until then, I hope we all please God now so that our eternity is far better.